This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week podcast. We're deep in the bowels of the ABC Ultimo, the um, broadcaster's head office here in Sydney. I'm joined by the Director of News at the ABC, Gavin Morris. Welcome, Gavin. Hello, James. How are you? Pretty good, thank you. Pretty good. We've seen a lot of you this year, and I'm guessing more than you'd like, yeah? Well, as uh, many of the people in my local neighbourhood keep reminding me, every time they see me, it's for reasons that, uh, you know, aren't necessarily always positive. But look, it's been a a busy and at times fraught period uh, over the past 12 or 18 months. And so um, hopefully you'll see a little less of me in the the months to come as we settle down and get on with things. Sure. Look, there's a lot I want to talk to you about. I want to go through just cover off you tell us about what you do um or you, you look after a really talented team of people across um tv radio online i guess too but i guess we really if i didn't bring up the afp raid right at the top it would probably be a bit weird if we went to it during the podcast so let's start there just now i think it was a wednesday afternoon first week of june where, where what were you doing that day so I was in the building uh, and around. Now, we obviously had some warning that um, we, they may pay us a visit on that day. Officially? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they were certainly in touch to sort of, uh, you know, and there'd been some discussion leading up to that period that they were keen to talk to us. Mm-hmm. So, so we knew that they were arriving. We had cameras at the ready and uh, we were ready to welcome them. But um, a bizarre day nonetheless, even with some notice and warning, uh, a day unlike which I've ever experienced before in a news organisation of having, you know, a, a small coterie of police officers turn up on your door and want to fossick through your files and, uh, and things. So it was, yeah, it was a fascinating episode. So you knew they'd come with a search warrant? I think it had three people's names on it and you were one of them, is that right? That's right. So the two journalists directly involved in the particular story they were interested in, and I was on it as well. Dan and so, Lewis and Sam Clark. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And because I, I was the only one in the building, uh, I, I was advised by some of our people to uh, not be in the building for a while, oh, okay. which was a bit bit strange as well. But right. um, so you had legal advice, sort of. Yeah, I mean, we, we obviously hadn't at that point seen the warrants, okay. and we weren't kind of really fully in the loop on what exactly it was that they were looking for. Um, so we tried to work it out from there, really. Uh, and thankfully, uh, the erstwhile correspondent, Mr John Lyons, live tweeted the whole event, which kept us all in touch with uh, really where it was going. Um, and what a brilliant job he did you know, yeah. across the course of that day. Um, but, you know, they, they came onto our premises and we're a media organisation, so we thought it best that we report the news as it was unfolding. Sure. Does that mean that you were on the warrant? They actually went through your hard drive and stuff like that as well in your email? Uh, look, I... I obviously wasn't there, but my understanding is, yeah, they were sort of certainly seeking uh, files and, okay. and, and emails and things that, that I was involved with. But, um, uh, you know, up until now, they're still kind of locked away and we hope they stay there. The, the general f- feedback I'm getting, the government seems to think maybe they went a step too far. Um, where, where do you think this will end up? Uh, look, I suppose what I worry about is the impact that this has on the journalism process more than anything. I mean, I worry first and foremost about Dan and Sam. Mm. And, and look, I hope that you know, that they come out of this uh, without a trial and without charges being laid. But, but beyond that, I, I think what I really worry about is the effect that this has on whistleblowers who are, the, I think, the lifeblood of our democracy and the way journalism works. And... Uh, you know, my theory on this is that this is partly about discouraging whistleblowers from coming forward next okay. time, whether whether the 
the charges and the legal process is meaningful or not in the end, I, I have no real um, insight into. But what I really fear is that there are people out there who today might have information that's in the public's interest uh, who say it's just not worth it uh, for me to speak up about that. And that chilling effect that you've heard about in, in a lot of the follow-up coverage on this is real. Uh, you know, and I know there are stories that we were in the process of doing which sources have pulled out of because they're more afraid than they once were. And that special bond that journalists have in, with sources in stories where we can look them in the eye and say, if you provide us with this information, we'll protect your identity, we'll protect you from follow-up, is more difficult for us to promise now. Mm. Uh, and that is fundamentally a, a bad thing for the way journalism works. Do you think this is making um, journalists, and it's probably already doing it perhaps, um, changing the way they operate in terms of what they, what they leave on email, um, whether they speak by phone or in person, things like that, uh, things that can be, you know, I guess summoned or, or, or um, confiscated? It's, it's definitely brought all of those things into focus for us. And so we are looking, we've done extensive training even since the raids uh -huh. with, with journalists who are involved in investigative or research-based journalism. Uh, we are absolutely looking at our technology and the way we use it. Uh, making sure that you know we have ways for people to provide us with information that is beyond searches and, okay. and, and email checks and things like that. It's not so, easy these days, is it? Though, the way they can look, it's 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 not easy, but obviously it's going to be essential. Yeah. Uh, and and so, look, technology moves as fast mm. as um, the authorities can keep up with it. So we'll just try a little bit to stay ahead of some of that. Yeah. Yeah. The um. So what, what what happens next in this process? I mean, there's a there's a, a Senate inquiry is there, and is there two inquiries underway? Yeah, so there's a joint parliamentary inquiry uh -huh. into press freedom, which we had some hearings on recently. Right, that was last week. Yeah. Um, and then there's a Senate inquiry also to okay. come. But I think critically, there's also some really important court proceedings that that you know we're working our way through. Right. Uh, certainly in the hope that some of the principles here around the way the laws were used and, and the way the data and the information has been held, um, you know, we'd, we'd like to sort of ensure that all of that's above board legally. And so there's a couple of court cases that we'll work our way through as well. Yeah. And in the meantime, are Dan and Sam carrying on their roles? Have they, they do anything different or...? No, look, both of them are really kind of brave journalists. They're... they're, they're keeping on with their jobs. I mean, all of our journalists are quite robust people. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I think the professionalism that our journalists will show as a result of this will be something that will be a testament to their virtues. You know, um, journalists at the ABC and investigative journalists, I think, across the industry are amazingly resilient at all of the obstacles that are increasingly put in their way. Uh, and Dan and Sam among them will continue to do great work. Gavin, talk to me a little bit about your role then at, at the ABC. I think you've been with the broadcaster since 2008, uh, roughly after Something a few like years that, yeah. in commercial media, I think you know, on, on television and newspapers, yeah? Yeah, I, I was overseas for about uh, oh, 11 or 12 years. I worked okay. for CNN and, and helped start Al Jazeera okay. English as a channel, did some news channel startups and things like that. And I, I came home to Australia fundamentally thinking that certainly international journalism and ensuring that Australia is in touch with the world story is as important as anything else that the ABC can accomplish uh, and, and contribute 
in the public's interest. So that was really why I came back to the ABC after doing some time here very early in my career. Okay. Um, and yeah, since then I've, I've worked my way through various projects and launched um, what's now the ABC News Channel. Um, sort of worked on many of our digital services to try to bring them up to contemporary audience standards um, and then stepped into this role uh, almost four years ago. Okay, okay. Now, so you look after all of the news across TV, radio and online? Online, digital, social media. So, as I say, news services from Facebook to Four Corners and and sort of (laughs) everything in between those things. It's a very diverse stable of... um, of, of sort of journalistic efforts and of programs and, and, and output uh, and more complicated than it's ever been really but mm. um, the audience habits have changed thus that, that we've got to be in lots of places all at the same time um, and retain, you know, remain focused on ensuring that the journalism we're producing and the services we're providing can uphold quality and that, that is the tension in any contemporary media environment is trying to maintain the core values and the quality of what you're doing while knowing that you've got lots of hungry mouths to feed and lots of different platforms. In terms of personnel, how many people are we talking in full-time, I guess? We've got about 1,300 people uh-huh. sort of across the board. I mean, that would include um, uh, sort of full-time equivalents, so some casual roles and things like that in there. But it's, uh, it's a lot of people. And, yeah. and uh, you know, we take the responsibility of the taxpayers' money that we're granted to provide such comprehensive services really seriously. Um, and, you know, trying to keep all of our people as focused on that public service remit that we have, you know, really making sure that the public's interest has got to come first in those services is something that I'm very passionate about. And in terms of budget, can you, you'll have talk in terms of sort of ballpark numbers for how much that, that news division costs every year? About 200 million. Well, so, okay. you know, of the billion yeah. dollars the ABC gets, That's we get about a fifth of it. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, now, remember, we got a lot of money still tied up in things like television and radio transmission and those okay. sorts of things. So, so I that's included in there. So, so yeah. not included well, in that. So in, the total okay. content budget, I suppose, the ABC is a bit over half of the billion dollars we get. Yeah. Yep. When you take into account all those transmission costs, uh, and of that, yeah, news, news and, and and all of our outlets um, in news and information and in current affairs gets about two hundred million of that. We know the sort of. All media, commercial, public is always sort of looking at ways to do things cheaper. I read today there might be a board uh, meeting today, in fact, um, looking at some sort of possible ways of, of shaving a few dollars off. Is, is that something uppermost in your mind these days, that, you know, trying to tighten that budget a little? Well, it, it, certainly since 2008, we've never been far away from a budget reduction target okay. that we've had to try to meet, whether that be through sort of reductions in... You know, money from the government, or whether that be through trying to provide services and strike the right balance between being in the right places with fixed or falling resources. Mm-hmm. Now, we hardly cry poor about that. Mm-hmm. We're really grateful for every dollar that the taxpayers uh, sort of award us. We try to spend it as efficiently as we can. But what we're working through at the moment, obviously, is um, you know, over, th- over the next three years, an indexation pause, which effectively amounts to about $84 million uh, over three years of savings that we'll have to find. Um, so that, that I, I suppose, is what the board is talking about at the moment and, and working out how we can do that with the littlest, smallest impact on audiences is, I suppose, the methodology of how we try to come at these things. 
I was just wondering as you were saying that the ABC commercial setup does does they have any relationship with news? Do you do you generate any sort of revenues with, with them? They, not really not directly that comes to us, but obviously they syndicate some of our news okay. content and some of our programs, and they raise revenue for the ABC more broadly. Uh, but um, we, you know, that the way that works is that funding normally goes back into the broader ABC pot, okay. so that there's not. You know, news doesn't yeah. specifically get revenue-funded um, money back in the door. Yeah. Um, but but we certainly provide content that is used by commercial to raise some revenue for the broader ABC. Okay. Um, I guess TV, radio, and we'll call it other if you like, but but they all reach pretty big audiences, don't they? Have you got any sort of? Would it be right to say TV's a little bit bigger, or but then radio is such a broad palette across Australia too, isn't it? Look. There's no doubt about it that in the way audiences work now, TV is still, you know, the, the main tent uh-huh. um, in terms of access points for audiences coming into the ABC. Um, and a big broadcast on television can bring in a million viewers. Yeah. It's very hard to do that, you know, with the array of radio services that we have or on, on digital. But obviously that relationship is changing and television audiences are declining pretty quickly for all companies, not just the ABC. Uh, Radio audiences are remaining incredibly static, actually. When you, you consider the change that we see in the industry, radio audiences are very loyal, um, and digital audiences have been rapidly on the rise. Um, so working through strategy really in the last three years is saying, well, how do we serve digital audiences better, knowing that there's huge parts of our audience that are probably never going to watch a scheduled television news program or, or listen to AM radio. That's just not how parts of our audience roll these days. So how do we serve them better on digital while also making sure that we're protecting as best we can services to our traditional audiences on TV and radio? Um, and the prize, I suppose, is something we saw around the time of the federal election where over the course of that weekend we had an audience reach of 10 million Australians. Mm-hmm. I mean, we couldn't do that when we only had television and radio services. So what digital and, and our opportunity with audiences brought to the table is that ability to reach far more parts of the audience than we ever could when we only had television and radio. The big stars in your stable, I guess, are the, the when you think of TV, it's people like uh, Lee Sales, uh, Tony Jones, I guess your breakfast host, and there's been a bit of a change there we might talk about shortly, was Michael Rowland and Virginia Trioli, Lisa Miller's come in. Um, there's been a few changes this year, hasn't there? A little bit of a generational change sort of moving through um, us at the moment, which both allows us to reflect on incredible people that have made an amazing contribution to our audiences over many years, people like Barry Cassidy and Tony Jones and really celebrating their contribution. But also I find the uh, excitement around bringing new faces and voices to audiences uh, fantastic and and, a really great part of this job is sort of trying to bring through the next generation of of on-air stars but also the next generation of great producers and executive producers and editors behind the scenes as well. And there's no doubt that we're going through a period at the moment where that generational change is really taking hold. The um, Some of the appointments, I mean, you've signed up David Spears, is coming across from Sky News. You can't start for a while. When, when you were chatting with him, were you surprised they've sort of made him work out as long as he's going to have to? 
Not really. I mean, he, look, he had a contract and, yeah. and we were certainly not wanting to do anything to dishonour his contractual arrangements. No. So we, uh, we, we knew that we may have to wait a little while, but um, he's an incredible talent. Uh, you know, I think he's going to have a great time at the ABC. I think the ABC will embrace him and I think our audiences will really enjoy what David Spears can bring to insiders, but also I think you'll see him contributing in other ways across the ABC that will really suit his talents. Yeah, because when there was big news breaking at Sky News, he was never seen to be <laughs> be off camera. So you, you'd be willing in, to embrace him at um, at different times of the day. Well, uh, anyone that knows David knows that he's an incredibly productive person, and so I think that wherever we can find opportunities for David to contribute, we will. And remember, he's got a great heritage in radio that mm. he hasn't stretched his legs in for a while. He's obviously a consummate television broadcaster. Yeah. But he's a great writer and, and mm. great at doing digital analysis, and he's passionate about a number of issues that I think we'll get him involved in. I think one job that might still be vacant is the next host of Q&A. Is that correct? Where, where are you at with that one? Yeah, I think, I think Q&A next year, we've got an opportunity to really look to refresh and, and revive the program. And so I think we'll get to work in, in the months ahead on, on settling down what Q&A will look like next year and, and therefore in that image, you know, who might be... Uh, there to front it and whether that's a single presenter or whether we look at a combination of people Um, but I think that that is the the next focus for us is really looking at Q&A and saying you know after 11 years with the same presenter and a a, a particularly regular format is there ways that we can refresh and revive it. Okay so it mightn't be just a new host but it could be a a a new program in effect or new format. Yeah, I think what, what we want to do with our team is sit down and really look at the whole package and say, you know, a, a new presenter is an opportunity to really uh, think about all of the ways that show connects with people and, and um, you know, after 11 years, give it a spruce up. Yeah. Another key pillar on Monday nights of Four Corners, of course. Is that going to proceed without a host or...? Look, I, I, I think so for now. Yeah. I mean, I think we've done it over the years both ways, with a host, without it a host. It seems to work without it, doesn't it? It, it does. And I, and I think what Sally Neighbours built in that team uh, is a really formidable group of reporters now who, uh, you know, just as great faces of that program as Sarah Ferguson was. Um, and so, you know, I think that's certainly worked this year. Uh, and, you know, I, I, don't think, I don't think we're as a sort of natural emerging host for Four Corners, so I think we're happy to kind of continue with that format for the time being. I should make mention too of Media Watch, which often doesn't crop up on review, but they, they get some pretty good numbers as someone who looks at the uh, ratings pretty closely. It's always up there on a Monday night. Um, Paul Barry and the team seem to do a pretty good job, but most people watch it, although they deny it when they're on it, of course. Yeah, well, we, we, what's the old saying? It's uh, you, you love it until you're on it. Um, it's not strictly speaking in my stable. It's part oh, of the okay. sort of entertainment and specialist right. thing. And I, and I think that was always a bit of a church and state okay. decision. That, yep, you know, you idea, want Media yeah. Watch to be able to scrutinise ABC News yep. as much as anything else. Sure, sure, okay. Um, that we I mentioned breakfast before. Lisa Miller's first week this week. I think you were down there for the um, to help farewell and celebrate um, Virginia Trioli's time on the program. Uh, have you caught much of it this week? I have, and look, I think Lisa just brings an incredible warmth and humour and uh, relatability into that role that um, I think audiences are going to love over time. I've, I've known both Lisa and Michael for many many years. We were all back in the press gallery together a long time ago um, and so bringing those two back together they have a real bond and a real f- 
friendship between them, I think you're going to see a lot of people increasingly warm to that, that energy that the two of them will have. Um, so I'm excited about where breakfast goes next. I think the other thing too is looking at some of these presenter choices we're making, really can, you know, really focused on ensuring that people bring insights into mainstream parts of the audience that, that, that hopefully more people can relate to. So, you know, Lisa's a country girl, she's from Queensland, um, she's warm, you know, what, what Spears brings in terms of his mm-hmm. accessibility, I think, to broader audiences that hasn't necessarily been fully tested on Sky, but I think, I think audiences will embrace him too. So I think there's, we're definitely looking at that as a, as a way of broadening our appeal to audiences and making everybody feel welcome when they watch an ABC News program. Because mm, in the sort of media chat, um, the commercial media chat about breakfast TV, people focus on Sunrise versus Today, but as Michael Rollins told me before, they don't forget about us. And I think he's right because we've got pretty good numbers and it's simulcast across two channels. Well, let me give you this fact, uh, and I think I'm right in saying this, yeah. uh, but News Breakfast Show is the only program on television that has increased its audience every year it's been on air. Okay, well. Um, and I think that's an incredible achievement considering how crowded that breakfast space was. But I think there, there was a yearning for something that could still have a laugh and and, and look at things with a wry eye, uh, but also report the news in a straight up and down way when it needs to be reported. And I think that's what that program team has increasingly tried to find a graceful path towards, and that's why it keeps increasing its audience. Talk to me a little bit about uh, News Channel. You said you were there at the beginning, so still got a special place in your heart, that channel. And, and what's been happening there lately? Has it changed any sort of a, its strategy at all? Really trying to focus at the News Channel. And you're right, I mean, I, it, it, I do have a very soft spot for um, the News Channel. Um, and, and I think the what we've been focused on this year, certainly around the election, but you know, I think in the post-election period, as I think politics will take a bit of a backseat for a while, mm. is is nailing the breaking news proposition um, and increasing the value of the guests we have on the channel. Um, so making sure that when news breaks, you can turn to the news channel and it's going to be on the pace with accurate information um, and, you know, as quickly as we can get it to people. Uh, but it's got to be right. Uh, but also, you're yeah, making sure that the voices you're hearing and the guests you're seeing on the news channel are primary sources as much as possible. Uh, you know, fewer commentators and, and, and more primary sources, I think, is the way we like to look at it. Do you... I mean, it's often been pitched up as a sort of competitor to Sky News. Um, Sky News has gone off on a bit of a, a tangent these days. It's, it's perhaps less news, more commentary. Is that, in a way, been good for the news channel, do you think? Certainly gone on divergent paths. And, I mean, the, the, the strategy around the news channel was always to be seen in living rooms and not necessarily in airport lobbies and hotel rooms and, and, and offices in Parliament House. And I think that sort of commentary brand that Sky does appeals to a particular audience who are after that, and that's a perfectly valid path for them to go down. But we, wanna, we want the news channel to be seen in everyone's living room and to provide an essential service that goes to the core of what we do here, and that's journalism and news coverage and bringing the world into people's homes and providing people with what I often talk to the teams about. It. I call essential context, you know, stuff you really need to know about things that matter. Yeah. Uh, that's what I think we want the news channel to focus on. And, and if that is divergent to other things that are out there in the broadcast marketplace, that's, that's okay by me. 
That, that's one of the things I think of when there's been chat about, you know, the ABC's reviewing its Foxtel spend and, and carrying those channels. To me, as a, someone who just watches their box, their TV through a Foxtel box because it's convenient, I would probably lose the ABC News Channel, and that's, that's the thing I worry about the most, I guess. But I, but I guess these days it's there on iView or streaming all the time, isn't it? So. Look, look, it's available everywhere, but I, I humbly predict you'll continue to see it on Foxtel <laughs> as well. Um, I, I think, look, as obviously as many living rooms as we can be in with the News Channel or any of our services, the more we like, but every dollar that we can scrutinise at the moment around reaching that $84 million savings target is, is one that we need to look closely at. So I think there's probably a middle ground around how we offer some of these services that can save a little bit of money but still keep it available to as many people as possible. Um. When I think of radio, it's probably because I'm so old. I still think of AM as a flagship. Is, is that still right these days, do you think? Completely. I mean, uh, people still switch on to AM to mm. get a sense for where the day is going to go, and they still tune in to PM, about to celebrate its 50th anniversary, which is an incredible achievement, to get a sense of what's gone on during the day. And, um, you know, the world today at lunchtime for people that want that catch-up these are still services that, regardless of the way habits have changed, those AM radio audiences have remained incredibly consistent over a long period of time. Uh, so changes to some formats in recent years, we've sort of obviously some changes to some presenters and some of those key programs, but the fundamental promise of what they offer audiences I don't think is any less valid now than it's been for, in PM's case, for 50 years, and in AM's case, a little bit longer than that. I was always used to listening to PM at 6pm. I still can't quite get used to it at 6.30, but I guess I can always listen. Is it 5 o'clock on Radio National? It's on 5 o'clock on Radio National, and obviously, yeah. you know, increasingly what we're trying to sort of consider at the moment is that catch-up listening experience, mm -hmm. which I think as each year passes us by, you know, is going to be more yeah. of an audience yeah. experience part of it. So, you know, hopefully we, we get to the point where it doesn't matter what time you hop in your car or mm. you switch on your radio at home, um, you can get a, a program like that that's up to date and available to you at all times. Your because all, all your news radio programs, I guess, available as podcasts, pretty much, or, or on the audio on demand. You probably call it, is it exactly that 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 listen app, which has become a, a real engine of, oh. of people on the go being able to tune into radio programs. Whether it be the full suite of of what's on RN, or whether it be um, individual stories out of AM and PM, let alone the full programs, we're just increasingly looking at how we can improve that audio experience into much more of an on demand one. Um, as people's habits change and that scheduled radio audience experience tapers off a little bit. I gather the data from those sorts of things, the downloads, and is, as, is as useful perhaps as the ratings you get for the programs, is it? More so. Yeah, I mean, particularly, so. as you know, with, with radio, it's yeah. a fairly blunt tool, that old radio ratings thing. Eight times a year you get yeah, a sort yeah, of a big number. It's just a diary and estimate, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas that, that the, the, the data you get across the digital output real, is much yeah. more meaningful in many mm -hmm. senses. much smaller, obviously, still than those yeah. big AM radio audiences. But um, it does allow you to really start to see the way people are behaving around some of our audio output. Is there, grow, is there growth in that sort of news on demand? Because I think a lot of people still like it live, though, don't they, the news, because they to feel about it. They do, but obviously what everyone's been trying to work out in the last few years is how the podcast work, world mm -hmm. works. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, we've gone through these periods where we thought 
podcasts were going to solve everything to now recognising that a great podcast can really engage an audience, but not all podcasts are going to be big audience plays. Uh, so, so learning, I mean, we're all doing this. This is not something anybody has incredible insights into video on demand, audio on demand. We're all learning constantly on what audiences are looking for and how to really appeal to them in those mediums but um, having something like the Listen app where all of it's available and where we can measure how people are behaving really starts to provide us with real answers not just hunches and, and gut feelings on these things. Before I ask you about it, is News Radio part of your remit? It is, yep. yes. So the 25th, that 25th anniversary last week, I think. Um, how's that going? Again, I guess a bit like the news service, they um, lead the way in terms of, of doing a lot with a little. Is I, I honestly think that News Radio is the, uh, the sort of leanest and most efficient kind of live news team I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, what that team have done for 25 years in putting together a service that goes across the day and is, is constantly reflecting the changing nature of events and things that are going on. I mean, it was the pioneer of us being a continuous news service. And, um, and it does it with, you know, uh, without much fanfare and with many fewer resources than its contemporaries overseas. And so I think, I think news radio often gets overlooked, but it's something we should be very proud of. Yeah, they, yeah they, I've listened to, I've had a few car trips lately and I've, I've listened to a bit more than I normally do and it's pretty good and, I'm, and their choice of what they run from international partners is amazing too. There's some great programs that pop up there. And, and very, um, uh, our new chair person is a very big fan of it as well, which okay. is great. So I, I know Ita Buttros is absolutely a... Um, uh, a, a kind of a fan and a, and a regular listener to news radio uh, because I think, you know, she's a very busy person on the go and that's what news radio is good for, is providing you with updates, you know, as the news develops. Yeah. Now, are you, you try and keep across all this, I guess, but you've got managers, I guess, on, on each of the th areas we've spoken about. Are you more hands-on anywhere at across your sort of portfolio than, than others because you actually might do a bit of managing as well? Or? So unfortunately not. I mean, the, the worst part about my job um, is that I am sometimes a little too far away from the stuff that I obviously got into uh -huh. the business for, which is that adrenaline rush of a breaking news story or that absolute energy you get out of undertaking a story that involves breaking news or, or revealing things that sometimes people don't want to know. I mean, I love journalism and the craft of it, uh, but in a role like this, I, I, I'm sometimes a bit of a... Um, uh, you know, vicarious enjoyer of other people's pleasures um, in relation to how they go around making the content. But look, when, you know, we're, we're, the way I suppose I try to um, do my job is to never micromanage any of those teams. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I don't directly get involved in program lineups or in, in sort of editorial choices, but I suppose I see my job as being able to empower these teams to get on and do their job. And if it allows me to you know, walk in the shadow of the journalistic giants that are in the building, then th that's, that's enjoyment enough for me. Um, and if I feel like I'm enabling them to be able to do their job, then I suppose that's what a good manager should do. Is the teams involved on the programs then? Are they, do they get involved if there's a change of host and things like that? Do you involve them in that sort of stuff? It, definitely. I mean, I mean, you know, EPs of programs and editors on my team, you know, are... Uh, 
are sort of gifted the opportunity to make those decisions themselves. I, I sometimes have a point of view, um, which I'll share with them and we'll sit down and we'll talk about it. Um, and sometimes I very directly get involved in a transaction with you know, one of our more senior on-air people. Uh, you know, I was very involved, obviously, in the David Spears um, recruitment. But I trust our editors and our EPs implicitly. Um, it was one of those things in my role that, um, you know, you make sure you've got the best people in all of those roles. That's kind of point one on my job criteria, really, is to make sure we've got great editors and EPs in place who are then allowed to get on and make these decisions for themselves. Overseas postings, do you know how many people you have working out of Australia, roughly? We've got about 13 bureaus at the moment, okay. uh, and in those bureaus we'd have a bit more than 20 people, probably. Mm -hmm. um, and these are the hardest working people in the industry, in my view, uh, particularly at times when big stories break in sequence. Um, and, you know, I, I am no more proud of anything we do than the work that our foreign correspondents and our teams do out there. Um, because the work's relentless, the, the conditions are difficult, sometimes the stories are incredibly hard. Um, and yet the enthusiasm and the professionalism that all of our people that are posted in our foreign bureaus brings um, is amazing. And, and I think it is such an important service to Australian audiences because we, we are almost alone in many parts of the world now in being able to have correspondence in place. And Australia's a long way from everywhere else. And without that bridge, I think, that our international reporters bring to bringing issues around the world into Australian living rooms, um, I think we'd be a much, much poorer country. Yeah. Would that be one of the non-negotiable areas, you think, in, if you had to look at budget cuts? Frankly, it is for me. Yeah. Um, my passion for international news and ensuring the ABC has that front and centre as one of its core services. And I think that because I think we're often here to provide services that necessarily the commercial media aren't able to provide nearly as well. And so for me, international reporting, you know, understanding China at the moment, understanding mm -hmm. the Asia-Pacific around us... Um, working out what's going on in the US around Trump and, you know, obviously in Europe, crucial to us understanding where we're going as an economy, as a country, where jobs are going, where businesses are going. Um, and so, you know, to me that is pretty much a not negotiable part of our service. The There hasn't been a lot. I, I guess there was, I mean, it ebbs and flows, the, the debate about the political leanings of, of inside the ABC, but it's there hasn't been too much controversy. I guess there's been other things going on that have taken the focus off that. But how much of that is a conscious thing that when you train people or when they join you, you talk about balance and things like that? It's a constant conversation here. and I. But, but let me express it like this. Uh, you know, and I'm, I'm often been sort of in saying this internally to some of our teams, you know, and judge whether it's controversial or not. I, I don't think we have a bias problem at the ABC at all. Um, you know, when we report a story, we are very careful to go and ensure that we're reflecting all sides of that story. I think sometimes what we still have to work on is whether we have a perspective problem, whether we're <laughs> capturing issues that the Australian public broadly are interested in and whether we're then reporting on those in proportion. <coughs> and I think that's something we have to constantly remain vigilant uh, about. Because unless we're relevant to all parts of the community, all parts of Australia, um, 
you know, we're not giving all taxpayers value for money. Uh, and, you know, I've often said I, I come from a family where the ABC wasn't really a presence when I was growing up, and yet my family pay their taxes just as much as anybody else's do. So I think that constant quest to say, are we being relevant to all corners of the country? Are we ensuring that whether you live in, um, you know, uh, whether you live in... You know, Mossman or Mangrove Mountain, uh, you find something in the ABC that's valuable to you and that the news services and the stories that we reflect are broadly reflective of the interests of the population, you know, at large. Finally, maybe, Gavin, tell me a little bit about the, the demos of the news audiences. I know in parts of the ABC you hear maybe entertainment, they talk about, look, we've got massive kids' audiences, then we might lose them a little bit if they come back when they get older, older people return. But, but what about news? I guess there's no... What age do you find people starting to tune in and, and do you do things to try and encourage sort of a, a younger listening? Well, there's that there's, there's kind of historical note, right, that... Uh, we provide lots of great kids programs we've got triple j and then when people are about 21 years old we kiss them on the forehead and tell them to come back in 30 years i think that's changed because not not as much as we would like it to we're still overrepresented in older audiences who consume our radio and television broadcasts but what digital has enabled us to do in recent times and you look at the mobile phone two-thirds of our audience on mobile consuming ABC stories that might otherwise be in our best broadcast programs, two-thirds of those audiences are under 40. Mm -hmm. So for the first time since we were able to use our digital output to really take our best stories and put them in front of contemporary audiences, we're serving 40-something, you know, audiences under 40 in ways that we never could before. Um, and so I, you know, I, I keep reminding our teams that don't worry about the fact that the 7 o'clock news might have an older skew to the audience because if we can take a brilliant story that was on the 7 o'clock news and turn it into a brilliant digital story, we'll also get a younger demographic consuming that news. That's why Four Corners now on a Monday morning is the best online story we have. So it's getting a great yeah. online audience that's much younger it's getting a traditional broadcast audience that still appreciate what it does on a Monday night. I always think of that when I'm looking at um, most of the news organisations seem to have a dedicated person that recaps Q&A on a Tuesday morning. So that reaches a lot more people than the actual um, live broadcast would do. And, and I think this story's been undertold for the ABC. You know, there's still mm. this perception that we've got very old traditional audiences. But what our digital platforms and the strategy that we've been pursuing over the last three years has done is to say, let's take our very best stories and our very best journalism and turn them into an equally compelling experience for digital audiences. And if we do that, we win-win. We retain those broadcast audiences, but we grow that under-40s audience, certainly on mobile and on social platforms. How do you spread that digital team? Are there digital people within all the different um, news brands and then is there a, a specific digital team as well? So that's what's been the big change really in the strategy that we've employed in the last three years is once we had a digital team that sat over there mm -hmm. and they were seen as those kind of online nerds in the corner right. and what we've tried to do is to say to all of our program teams and all of our journalism teams, uh, 
digital is just as much responsibility for you reaching an audience as television or radio is. Um, And meanwhile, we've created some multi-platform teams, things like ABC Investigations that came out of what was Lateline. Mm. Um, And what we've built there is a team that produces stories for television, for radio and for digital audiences. And, you know, the the rule is it's got to be equally compelling on all three platforms. Um, and that is what has allowed us to grow that digital audience to be, you know, at the moment we're second in the market in terms of digital news online. And, um, you know, the really important change you've seen in audience behaviour is we've gone from being the worst on digital for time spent and for story engagement to being the best in the industry. Mm-hmm. And that's because the stories are richer, the journalism's deeper, it's reflecting our best product from broadcast on our websites, and it's absolutely shown through in how long people now spend on our site and how often they return. Gavin, look, I think we might leave it there. Um, just just give me a quick a quick taste of what's what's ahead for you in the days ahead. I mean, have you got any more parliamentary committees? Have you got any more appearances like that? Or have you got days with spreadsheets? What's what's sort of on the menu? So we've, we've got another Senate inquiry coming up, I think, next month that um, that we will uh, put our best foot forward uh, on around press freedom mm-hmm. and uh, those sorts of things. But look, what this year is really about is getting back to business. Mm-hmm. You know, after a very disruptive year last year where... You know, I've, I've sometimes expressed that it was a bit of a lost year for the ABC. And this year, we're, we're back on the tools and we're getting back stuck into looking at what audiences need from us and making changes to those services, which is what people would expect of us. So order has been restored. You know, we've got a leadership team back in place um, and, you know, a, a few AFP raids and a few budget cut scenarios to work our way through. We're focused on that. Yeah. Okay, great. Look, thanks for uh, lending us inside uh, your domain here. Great to talk to you. Thanks a lot, James. Really great to talk to you.